Hello and welcome to Resignation Klaxon. This is an irregular series on Red Rose Reporting where we've assembled people together last minute without a script, without a plan, because something big has happened, usually resignation. Joining me today to comment on Owen Patterson resigning as an MP following scandal in the Commons is my co-host Rob Clark. Good evening, George. Connor Dockra. Hello! And joining us for some comments as well is Josh Dean. Evening, everyone. Good to be back. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's good that we could scramble everyone together, sort of like um, a terrible version of the Avengers, um, so we could all comment on the downfall of an MP's career. Um, so, uh, let's start this off, shall we, by just discussing what's actually happened and why we're making this podcast. Um, Rob, you've been particularly passionate on the subject, so do you want to take over and just give a quick explainer? Uh, so, essentially, what's happened is, George, uh, there's been... Uh, dust up over an MP called Owen Patterson, who's the MP for North Shropshire. Um, he has been on the board or very closely related to a business which has received an awful lot of money in government contracts. I believe the initial fee was something around £133 million worth of contracts was given out by the government to this company. Um, the company have, in fact, made, I think, something ludicrous, like £285-odd million in profit from the COVID test contracts that the government gave them. Um, so it's a big deal. It's an awful lot of money being handled. He, he earns about £112,000 a year from his work with this business. It's it's a huge, huge amount of money. I think the, the committee standards report said it was, I think, the worst breach they'd ever seen of, of the rules and regulations are, that surround these issues. Now, what's happened is he's been, he's been understandably found unanimously to have breached the rules. This whole procedure took an awful long time and tragically during the process Owen Patterson's wife took her own life it's been an incredibly stressful process admittedly for himself but it does not change the fact that it was a unanimous 14 to nil verdict that he had broke uh, the rules now because of the the rules the House of Commons has to vote on whether to suspend him uh, and when this came up the the government for reasons which are known only to them decided to make this a bigger issue not only were they not going to suspend him for uh, this really terrible breach of the rules they were going to use this case as an excuse to tear up the entire standard system in the house of commons and it, it, it caused a huge backlash uh, the final the final vote did pass the amendment bill passed narrowly by 18 votes so it was a really really tough day uh, shouting down from the Labour benches of shame when the result was was carried out, real palpable anger in the House of Commons. Lindsay Hoyle had to had to raise his voice several times uh, when the result was announced. So it was really, really quite a chaotic, um, chaotic situation in the House of Commons. And it got even more farcical because today they sent our business secretary out to double down and say that the commissioner who had overseen all of this should be should resign and that they did the right thing. Uh, and then a few hours later, the government did a complete U-turn, sending out Jacob Rees-Mogg to say that they were breaking the issues apart, that they were going to treat them as separate incidents, which is what they should have done in the first place. Um, and as a result, Owen Patterson, well, who had been let off the hook yesterday, has now been put back on the hook. He did not get told this by the leadership of the party. By all reports, he found out from a journalist ringing him while he was in a supermarket give you an idea of how quickly this decision to do a full U-turn was taken. 
So it has been a complete mess. Owen Paterson has since resigned, standing down as a member of parliament, citing the cruel world of politics as his reasoning for standing down. So it has been, uh, it has been a chaotic couple of days, George. It has indeed, uh, which is why we have come back to record so quickly. Um, it's definitely warranted it. I'm going to immediately turn, since this now leaves a seat in North Shropshire open to our resident southerner on the podcast, Connor. Um, Connor, first of all, I just want to very quickly ask two questions. The first of which is, what did you make of these developments as they happened? Like, were you just kind of dumbfounded by what was happening and how blatant this corruption was? I mean, I think... In many ways, it's the latest in a long line of just trying to limit accountability in Parliament. And I think a very big step in this, which people aren't considering at the moment, is how absentee voting and virtual voting in the midst of the pandemic was slowly stripped away by Rhys Mogg and the Conservative Party, very, very, well, relatively recently now, obviously quite a long time ago in the grand scheme of this Parliament, but relatively recently. And as a result of that, you can see how slim the majority is. You can see how many Labour MPs, how many SNP MPs had to abstain because they weren't there. And, you know, some of them probably had some issues with the way the standards authority worked. Like, lots of people did say they had issues that they thought they needed reform, uh, which the government has then said, oh, no, these, these, this is a totally this is a separate issue from the own Patterson situation. But that's how it was built initially, that this is a reform issue as well as an issue regarding this specific case. But the fact that absentee voting was abolished almost certainly made this vote possible because if you look how slim the margin was how panicked the whips were i don't think they'd have even initiated it if they weren't relatively confident they could get this level of victory so i think automatically there that's a big step in sort of just limiting accountability throughout the pandemic making it so that you know Dozens of MPs cannot participate, you know, actual dozens, which is a significant proportion of Parliament at that point. You know, we talk about, obviously, very major figures on the Labour front bench were not able to uh, you know, vote against a horrific motion from the government. And it's a messy situation where the leader of the opposition, for reasons entirely out of his uh, control, is not able to oppose a ridiculous motion like this. And also... The unfortunate aspect of it, as much as I'm no fan of Keir Starmer whatsoever, as I've said many times on this podcast, is now he's going to get very unfairly harangued by, you know, cranks online for not opposing a bill which he had no actual physical way of opposing in Parliament. So I think it is the, it's, it's a part of a very long and deliberate line of slowly using the trappings of situation to get, chip away at accountability in Parliament. That... The Patterson situation was just something they leapt on to use as an excuse for this, because there are many Tory MPs, I think it's 22 Conservative MPs currently under investigation uh, as part of parliamentary standards. Uh, that number might be wrong, but that's the one I can think of. The, the 22 the number is, is bang on correct. There are 19, okay. I think, currently under some form of investigation, and then three who are under direct form of investigation, with investigation results coming soon, and as... Um, I've just been made aware as well, Boris Johnson actually does count amongst Conservative MPs who are being investigated, so it, yeah. it really speaks to this level, which, which is why I just want to kind of cut off your answer there and just ask you a second question, which is, obviously, all of this um, farce came at such an enormous political expense. Was it actually worth it? Like, has this accomplished anything other than just damage you know damaging the reputation of everyone involved because it seems to me that an awful lot of trust has been eroded through this 
for absolutely no gain whatsoever, other than, from what I understand, Boris Johnson backing up somebody who he was mates with once. It's it's been a complete mess, because Boris Johnson has built his Conservative brand on the idea that he's not an establishment mates-type Tory like people thought, like David Cameron has, that they think traditional Conservatives has. Obviously, he is, and the last few days revealed he is, but he built himself on a very almost folksy reputation of being... Oh, he's this rough and tumble outsider that he's going to come in and rough up the old Westminster elite. But there's no way to prove yourself as more of a Westminster elite than trying to get off 22 of your best mates for, I mean, between them, defrauding the public of millions of pounds, because that's what it amounts to. And it's, it's, I mean, I've seen journalists say that it's the biggest scandal since expenses, and that if the change had gone through, it would take us back effectively to where we were during the 1990s. And that's, you know, Expenses was a huge issue at the day for all parties. And what this is particularly bad for the Tories on is this isn't the sort of, in the way that expenses was, where you could say, okay, well, here's a Labour MP that's abused expenses, here's a Conservative MP that's abused expenses. It is entirely, entirely at the fault of the government now. And Labour fairly universally can say, look, we voted against it. If we only had a few more MPs, we would have stopped you because of how many of your own people thought how scummy this was. That's the level it's at. That it's, if it was at least more conservative pieces voted for it, I think it would have looked slightly better because then it would. The fact it was so close gives the impression to even a casual observer of how controversial and therefore wrong this must be. That even in a parliament so conservative dominated, they have issues with the government doing this. That it, it, it makes the government look so bad, A, because of what they're doing, B, because of how they've done it, and C, because of how close it was. Now, Connor, I'm going to come back to you and then also onto Rob when we talk about what this means in terms of electoral uh, positioning, given the fact there is now going to be a by-election in North Shropshire. But I just want to turn to Josh first, who's not had a chance to speak yet. Um, Josh, you've been sat there listening to people with quite a thoughtful look on your face. Uh, what would you like to contribute? Like, What are your thoughts on this entire saga? Um, I mean, obviously, I've been watching it unravel, and it's been pretty pretty fast paced it's been a you know it's sort of your head sort of spins watching it all happen i think you know the idea that conservative mps could vote for this could vote to tear up the rules could vote to protect their guy um it's absolutely staggering but you know it's a pattern of behavior now it's not just an unfortunate incident um when dominic cummings took his trip in lockdown to barnard castle um mps across the conservative party were trotted out to you know, publish their defences. When Pretty Patel uh, was found to have bullied a member of her staff, um, you know, MPs again were sent out to defend her and, and talk about the hard work she was doing. And now they're actually voting in Parliament to protect not just this MP, but also to help those MPs also currently under investigation by the standards watchdog. So, you know, there's no other word for it. It is corruption. Mm. It's corruption and it's sanctioned from the absolute top of the Conservative Party. Um, I think the idea that they thought they could get away with it is quite sickening. Um, And as I suppose cynical as this sounds, we have to watch and see how the public respond to this as well. I think Labour's taken the right position straight away. I think the other opposition parties have taken the right position straight away to not only be completely against what they were trying to do by protecting Owen Patterson, but also saying we're not going to be involved in a process that rips up the rules on the standards and then take part in a committee where the Tories will just rig it anyway. 
Um, showing that opposition was right, standing up and calling it out as corruption was right. Um, but, you know, as I say, in a cynical way, we now have to see how people in the country respond to it. And I think, sadly, you know, we talked about expenses before. I do think we live in a world that's different from the expenses scandal. And I think we live in a world where people are cynical. People expect politicians to be corrupt. And in a very sort of sad, depressing way, I do, I do wonder how much the public will tune into this. But I'm, I'm hoping to be proved wrong. Well, we, we actually are in a really unique position for this uh, resignation collapse because of the fact that um, not only as this entire saga is going off and Owen Patterson dramatically resigned, another MP has been um, found guilty in the court of law and has been sentenced today, Claudia Webb, who I believe has been... Se- it's about 200 days she's been sentenced, isn't it? 200 days of community service and a 10-week suspended sentence for two years. Um so yes, there will yes. be. A, I don't think it is. It's not big enough to to force a by election, but there will be a recall petition sent out. So Josh, in line with that, given the fact that Labour's response to Claudia Webb and like the Conservatives who tried their best to defend Owen Patterson to the last and have defended Rob Roberts to the last and got him back in the Parliamentary Party after such seriously sleazy stuff that happened with him. Do you think that the fact that Labour just immediately, when the investigation was called, kicked Claudia Webb out of the Parliamentary Party, and now that she's been found guilty, have kicked her out of the party itself, do you think that offers like a way for us to say, look, you know, to voters, there's the Conservatives over here who are desperately breaking the laws and flouting the rules to protect their mates, and you've got us over here, when, when we've done wrong, we hold a hand up and say, yeah, we've done it. Do you think that is perhaps a way forward to kind of cut through and make it less about how it's corrupt MPs and more how it's Tories. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I hope so. Because, you know, you look at where the Labour Party was two years ago, um, coming off the heels of a, an absolutely horrendous election, um, where we've been, you know, blown left and right with the anti-Semitism scandal, um, with MPs being investigated and so on and so forth, um, to where we are now. Yeah, I think it does offer a contrast. I think it has to offer a contrast. It was the right thing to remove uh, Claudia Webb from the Parliamentary Labour Party uh, when this all began. It was the right thing to expel her today as soon as the guilty verdict was handed down. Um, And I hope it offers a contrast. I did actually um, tweet about this, ironically, um, because someone was saying, you know, when you look at Claudia Webb and Rob Roberts and Owen Patterson, do you want to do a tit-for-tat on mystery and MPs? And I said, it's not tit-for-tat when the Labour Party is expelling these people, when the Labour Party wants by-elections to remove these people, and the Tory party is welcoming them back with open arms and doing everything they can to protect them. I mean, the Owen uh, Patterson case is obviously very, very serious, but the Rob Roberts case is equally serious and very disturbing. And the idea that he's allowed to walk the halls of Parliament is genuinely very wrong um and it's the fact that the tories are happy to glaze over this stuff it's the fact that the tories are happy to turn a blind eye to it and you know wrap their arms around each other and try and push through it um so i do think it offers some contrast i hope that as a labor party we will go quite hard on this and say you know this is what we're doing when we have problems with our mps why aren't the tories and actually i think it offers a glimmer of an opportunity for keir starmer as well because the ideal thing he should be saying right now is, I prosecuted MPs who broke expenses laws. If I were Prime Minister, I'd be taking proper action on this, and Boris Johnson isn't. So I think I think it offers an opportunity, yeah. 
We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Although I have been impressed with Keir Starmer's rhetoric in his Guardian article, uh, not flinching at the word corruption. Although, if you believe John Retnell from the Independent, who I sometimes have down as the worst journalist apart from Dan Hodges, he did the completely <laughs> wrong thing. Um, <laughs> now I'm going to turn to Rob because through all of us, I keep mentioning. There's now by-elections going off all over the place. We're going to have one in Leicester East. We're going to have one in Old Bexley and Sidcup on the 2nd of December. We're going to have one now in North Shropshire. What's the state of play, Rob? Well, I think it, for two of those, it's very early to say. And for all three, it's very early to say. Uh, Bexley and Sidcup's only just had the date confirmed. I think with the state of play, you have to start thinking how much of this is, as Josh said, how much of this is going to bleed through. Uh, there has been an awful lot of anger that has surprised the Conservatives recently. Yesterday, if you looked on Twitter, uh, there were an awful lot of reports of, of constituents who weren't, as they put it, the usual customers, emailing in, demanding to know why this had happened. So I think it has it has started to bleed through. It's not the Westminster Village story that Laura Kay thought it was going to be. That being said... Um, Many voters may now see that Owen Paterson issue is resolved. The government have U-turned and the MP in question has resigned. So with regards to that, it's going to be, it's, it's, it, I don't know how that's going to play on the, on the campaign trail. I think we can tell from what Richard Tice has been saying that he's going to try and play very heavily on the idea of the Tories being incompetent in government. And it's very rare we mention the Reform Party on the podcast for obvious reasons. They aren't really much of a player. But Richard Tice is the leader of the party. It's, it is a very much a make or break by-election for the Reform Party, I think. This is the kind of constituency where they have to make inroads. Um, mm. It's not a run-of-the-mill constituency, if you like. It's... Um, it's a constituency that, that plays quite nicely to the target audience Richard Tice has been going for. A lot of rhetoric about the con-socialists, which is obviously ludicrous from our perspective, but an awful lot of people who have been what you might call more traditional conservatives, uh, who have been backing the party since before David Cameron, maybe seeing some of the stuff that got John, uh, Boris Johnson's been doing, and they might not be entirely comfortable with it. These are the kind of voters Richard Tice is trying to pick up. Similarly, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I don't really like the term red wall or blue wall. Uh, I think I think they're a bit useless, to be perfectly frank, because no one can really seem to agree on the definition. But some journalists consider this part of the blue wall. That is to say, a seat which uh, may trend slightly towards the Labour Party in the future. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how Labour do. That being said, I think Bexley Sickup is considerably urbanised. It's, it's still got a lot of of settlements and it's it's very close to London. It's not the rural seats that Labour have been reportedly making these big gains in. A seat that is and does fit that bill is Shropshire North, which is a very rural seat. Um, that's the kind of place where this theory of the blue wall and Labour making inroads into the blue wall will be tested. It's That's the kind of constituency. But even then, how many lessons can be learned from a by-election called by the previous incumbent being done for the most egregious form of corruption Parliament's seen? I don't know. I think the lay of the land is I would be very surprised if any of these seats change hands, really. Leicester yeah. East should be a relatively safe Labour hold. Uh, it doesn't have the profile for a, a left entries party like the Workers' Party. Um, like Batley and Spen had that profile that George Galloway is very comfortable with. 
Leicester East doesn't have that same profile. So for a left entries party to make inroads there, I think it's going to be quite difficult. Uh, our commenter, Alistair, says nip. Or, no, no, it's too far south of the Northern Independence Party. And the breakthrough party has not got any sort of set. I think they may stand. I definitely think they may stand. But they, they aren't going to make those inroads. Is, um, is Breakthrough what Chris Williamson defected to? No. Uh, Chris Williamson set his own thing up. Breakthrough is essentially the Northern Independence Party, but based in the South. Oh. They, uh, because, the, because the borders of the glorious uh, you know, nation North of Northumbria uh, has to stop somewhere. And wherever that border stops, the Breakthrough Party stand uh, in, instead. So oh. I don't expect Leicester East to change. North Shropshire would take an extraordinary effort to change. And I think the only thing that may flip that seat is the controversy surrounding it. Now Owen Patterson's gone, that's not going to be as easy. In fact, I'd say it's probably rather, they've rather sort of wiped away an awful lot of the problems by getting rid of Owen Patterson. Josh, do you want to come in before I go to Connor? Um, yeah, I wanted to jump in on Leicester East, actually, because I'm going to contradict everything that's been said and say that I do think Leicester East is going to be tough. And that's for two reasons, actually. Um, the first one is Leicester East has done pretty poorly with Labour MPs, let's be honest. Um, and people in that area will be rightly asking themselves, you know, do I want to vote Labour again when I know the quality of MP that we're going to get? Um, but the other point is this, and this is actually something I talked to someone about during the um, election battle in Spen. As you know, Batley and Spen has quite a large Pakistani population. There was a lot of uh, discussion on the leaflets from various parties about Labour's position on Kashmir, Labour's position on Narendra Modi. Um, and I know people in Leicester um, who are members of the Indian community in Leicester who feel very, very uncomfortable about our position on Narendra Modi and on our position on Kashmir. Now, you know, I agree with the Labour Party's position. Um, I am generally quite concerned about what's going on uh, under Modi and in terms of Kashmir but there are people in the community in Leicester who feel uncomfortable about it um, and I think it's possible that this will have a negative impact on us so we have to find a way of holding that coalition together and again it comes back to the issues of the Labour Party of holding an electoral coalition together that really is coming apart at the seams in a lot of ways so I don't want to say that I think we're going to lose I mean Claudia Webb had a 25,000 vote majority. The Tories had uh, 25,000 votes and the Tories had 19,000 votes. Um, so I don't think it's going to be easy. I'm not saying we're going to lose it, but I do think we will struggle. And I do think we need to run a good campaign that holds that coalition together to keep hold of it. I think part of a yeah. good campaign is avoiding bringing back Keith Vaz, which is what I've seen some people touting. I mean, by-elections are notoriously volatile as well. So everything Josh mm. says is, is, is very yeah. true because, I mean, the tiniest things can really impact the way things happen in these in these places, which is why North Shropshire could surprise everyone. And a yeah. lot of talk about doing what they did in 1997 with Neil Hamilton, where they, the major parties stand aside for an independent uh, but I don't think that worked now. And I think now when Patterson's gone, it would, it would sort of defeat the point. Well, to, to basically then jump to our you know, other panellists before we do the um, Patterson or Partridge is Connor. Because Connor's in the Lib Dems, as we all know. And frankly, in this whole theory on the blue, roll, blue wall and how we take it down, quite a lot of this depends on us working with the Lib Dems to some extent. And whilst in 
the case of North Shropshire and also Old Bexley and Sidcup Labour is actually in second place. The Lib Dems are going to play a crucial role in all these by-elections going off right now. Um, Connor, um, I'm going to ask you a loaded question. What is the Lib Dem position, if any, going into this? And how, how do you think the party is going to interact with these by-elections? Well, the problem is, well, first of all, I think a lot of people are going into these by-elections very quickly off the back of the fact that the last big by-election, well, the last by-election, Force up, I think parliamentary wise was uh, Cheshire and Amersham, which was obviously not only a Lib Dem win, but was a shockingly good Lib Dem win. Where up until the, I thought it was going to be Tory, everyone thought it was going to be narrowly Tory. It, everyone said, say, Oh, it's on knife edge, it's a knife edge. I was like, oh, Okay, that means Tory majority of like a few hundred then, which will obviously be increased at the general election. But then the night comes, and it turns out the Lib Dems haven't just won Cheshire and Amersham, they've they completely walked it, you know, winning by over 20%, which is impossibly unheard of for A, a popular government, and B, a popular government with a 30% you know, margin going into the election. So a lot of people are optimistic based on that. But I think it's a lot more messy than that for a couple of reasons. The first being, the polling seems to suggest that Labour are making more gains in the blue wall than the Lib Dems are. But the fact that Cheshire and Amsterdam happened so recently is suggest to me that Lib Dems are going to be incredibly unlikely to just go, oh, okay, we'll just accept what the polling says and give Labour as clear a run as we possibly can. Obviously, the Lib Dems will stand whatever happens. The prospect of Lib Dems not standing is, is exactly zero because, you know, these are blue wall seats, even if you think they can't be or not. They, these are seats where the Lib Dems would look to make gains. These are rural seats where there's a lot of anti-government sentiment at the moment, where the Lib Dems would naturally hope to peel away a lot of Conservative voters. And in the aftermath of Cheshire Amersham, there is no way that the Lib Dems can go, oh yeah, we'll just, you know, give up all the free publicity we could get from surprisingly good runs in these seats. I don't think they will change hands, but there's also the factor of, this strikes me a lot similar to the Brecon and Radnishir by-election than it does to Cheshire and Amersham. A, because of the circumstances, you know, you've got uh, a Conservative MP who's faced recall because of actions they've undertaken, which will happen in Brecon and Radnishir, and B, because that was an election which the Dems did pick up, but the Conservatives probably overperformed where people said they were going to be. And I think, you know, there's a series, obviously the Conservatives are going to lose swathes of votes, A, just to Conservatives not turning out, be to Conservatives defecting to Labour and Lib Dems. Whether that'll be enough to turn it, I don't know. What could be interesting is if Labour and the Lib Dems deliberately work together, because Labour theoretically could get through, I think, just in North Shropshire if they ran a very good campaign and the Lib Dems deliberately peeled off Tory voters. Because, you know, we've seen, I mean, in, in very recently in by-elections where Labour has succeeded, a big factor in that has been the fact that Lib Dems peel off natural Conservative voters who will never vote Labour come what may, but are, are happy enough voting for whatever other anti-government party is around and is vaguely centrist. I think, theoretically, if Labour and the Lib Dems got together and sort of min-maxed their campaigns, it would be possible. But, you know, I'm not sure that there is that level of understanding there yet. There's been lots of talk online in many Lib Dem circles. I don't know how true this is in Labour circles about... Uh, restarting something similar to the Blair Ashdown project, which is a deliberate effort in the lead up to the 97 election to make sure that Labour gains and Lib Dem gains were maximised. Obviously, that was completely pointless anyway, because Labour would have won in a landslide if Paddy Ashdown and Tony Blair had never spoken a word to each other. But, but the idea is that 
Labour and Lib Dems could stand everywhere, but deliberately target their campaigns to maximise the amount of vote share the others get in important seats. I think North Shropshire could be a very good test case for this. And I think by 2023 or 2024, whether the next election happens, we will be closer to a reality where Ed Javi and Keir Starmer are going to be sitting down in rooms talking. But I don't think we're there yet. And maybe North Shropshire could be a tipping point with people going, you know, maybe the result will make people go, maybe we could have done something here. Maybe we could have done something in these seats where, you know, demographically they might be good for the Lib Dems, but last election they were very good for Labour, so they might be better placed to actually take these seats here. But it, it could be a good test case for it. I think it's unlikely to happen. You know, there is there's the risk that, you know, Lib Dems will stand and then the online Lib, Lib Dems and Labour will get very, very, very angry with each other, as they always do. You know, I recall very unfondly what happened in Canterbury leading up to the general election there in 2017-2019 and uh, mm. I think everyone in that situation has got egg on their face now no one who we commented on the Canterbury situation looks we good. don't speak about Canterbury we, on we this podcast we don't speak, we don't speak <laughs> about but yeah I think Labour and the Dems could work together they should work together they will work together I don't think they're there yet Right, that's wonderful analysis, thank you. Now, we're keeping this very short, because as we said, it's a special klaxon just because something important has happened. But it wouldn't be a Red Rose reporting without some sort of gimmick at the end, so here is Patterson or Partridge. So, Owen Patterson has left the building, but um, he has left behind 24 years in Parliament, which means, of course, there's a bunch of weird statements from his time. So, um, I just need you to tell me whether this statement is um, Patterson or Partridge. So... Statement number one. The Badgers move the goalposts. We're dealing with a wild animal, subject to vagaries of the weather and disease and breeding patterns. Statement two. Foxes are screwing the farmers, and meanwhile, they're being defended by meat-dodging, soap-dodging job-dodgers. So, which is Partridge, which is Patterson? I think statement one will will have been Patterson during one of the Badger calls. Okay. That's my guess. Connor? The problem is that, that number two is so stereotypically something a Tory MP could say that if you don't pick it, it is that. You look like an idiot. So I, I feel compelled to pick it because if I don't pick it and it's that, I'm going to... Everyone's going, well, don't toss it's that. <laughs> what are you thinking? You're still in lib. Okay, uh, you're going to go for statement two. Wonderful. And Josh? I'm actually going to go for two as well, I think. I, I think that's something a Tory MP would say, and I also think it's something that he would say. Okay, so, um, Connie, you bloody lib idiot, it was statement one that was Patterson. Get oh. in, get in. <laughs> Never underestimate the hatred of Badger. Yeah, uh, that, Rob was actually, the context as well, bang on. This was when Patterson was, envi- I believe, Environment Secretary or Minister or something of the like, and he was, um, responding to badger culling numbers and statement two was partridge having to stage a fox um, hunting debate because he had the fox hunters on didn't challenge them and was sent internet threats so he was doing it last minute and quite speaking of last minute that's the end of this ramble of a podcast um thank you for listening we're going to keep up to date with these violations as they go on the panel's um, social media as usual will be in the description thank you so much for listening and until the next um resignation klaxon ta-ra mm-hmm.